As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. It's a tumultuous time, to say the least, and what we're going to do, folks, is bring you the best minds we can on global Wall Street, and of course, also in the nation's capital. Right now, one of those minds is Cecilia Rouse. She is chair of the White House Council of Economic Advisors and survived Act 10 at Harvard University a few years ago. <laughs> Did you have the Feldstein version or the Mancu version? I actually had, okay, I'm dating myself, Otto Eckstein. Oh, there you go. <laughs> there you go. She's dating herself, and she is well-preserved because she's on her Peloton. That's a side <laughs> story. Dr. Rouse, Otto Eckstein would say, don't look at the headline data, parse the data. You and the president have to parse the character of the nation's inflation. What part of it is the focus of the president this morning? Well, look, the president is focused on the whole of it uh, because he understands that the, the cost of food and gas and the price of everyday uh, items for the American family. And so he comes from a family where that would be meaningful if you had to pay more for a tank of gas. Uh, and so he's focused on the all of it. He's, today he's going to lay out his plan for addressing price increases. Of course, as his economic advisor, I am focused on the part that is about core inflation, which is not focused on gas and food. And that tells us more about what the Federal Reserve can control as it tries to address inflation and also the parts that are more enduring and that might be more challenging to address. So, you know, the president is focused on the whole of it because that is the reality for American families. The whole of it is politicians away from your remit have to come up with a plan. We prove that whip inflation now buttons don't work. What's the plan? So from day one, this president has been focused on generating an economy where there is sustainable growth that works for all Americans. So he's, as he likes to say, he wants to build it from the bottom up and the middle out. So that was what underlied the American Rescue Plan. It was important to get shots into arms and for households and businesses to have the resources to get through the pandemic. So now he's focused on inflation. So he understands that he needs that we need to address gas prices. Uh, much of the gas price increases of late have become because of the war. Uh, 
um, of Russia's war against Ukraine. <clears throat> the president, in trying to ease those prices, has released historic levels from our strategic petroleum reserve in concert with other countries so that on net, to date, uh, there have been about 400 and, uh, 240 million barrels released worldwide. In addition, he's urging gas and oil companies to increase their production domestically by using existing leases and increase their drilling so that we can get more oil on the market. But he also is focused on reducing long-term costs for families. That is through, for example, uh, reducing prescription costs by getting, allowing Medicare to negotiate prices, yeah. by addressing childcare costs, by addressing the cost of housing. These are policies that we know will help increase our, e our economic growth, uh, ensure that it's more broadly shared, and in the process, reduce the cost for families. But yeah. he wants to do so in a deficit-reducing uh, way. His budget, you know, last year, <clears throat> he reduced the deficit by $300 billion, on track to do, uh, reduce it by $1.5 trillion this year. Um, and he does so by increasing taxes on our very wealthiest individuals Cecilia, and corporations. Cecilia, with retrospect, with hindsight uh, being our guide, was it a mistake in March of 2021 to issue $1,400 checks to every American who qualified? It is so hard to go back and do retrospective uh, because it's hard to imagine the counterfactual. Mark Zandi, who has tried to do so and looking at all of the pandemic policies, has, has estimated that had we not acted, this goes back to CARES as well, because that was important as well, but including the American Rescue Plan, we may well have faced a double-dip recession in 2021. We would be facing elevated unemployment today, and we would not have had the economic growth that we had last year, which is going to put us on a path for more sustainable growth going forward. So the American Rescue Plan was an insurance policy. We did not know how long this pandemic was going to, to remain a challenge. We needed to get shots into arms so we could regain our lives. Yeah. So worldwide, advanced economies are dealing with inflation because that is the consequence of helping families and businesses get through the pandemic uh, when we were facing supply chains, which couldn't quite handle that sustained demand. So Cecilia, how much does inflation have to come down before the end of the year for this growth that we're seeing to be sustained, for that not to really curtail some of the momentum that we're seeing in households? So what's important is that we maintain our economic activity uh, and we don't want the inflation to be, become spiraling out of control and for our individuals, you know, households to become underwater. So what we need, the Federal Reserve's mandate is price stability and full employment. Uh, you gave it your header, Jay Powell, the Chair Powell, uh, emphasizing how the Federal Reserve is on it, uh, and that is what they are focused on as well. The president would urge Congress to confirm his, his nominees so that the Federal Reserve Board has all hands on deck to fulfill their dual mandate. So that is what's going to be most important. To date, we see that inflation expectations are anchored. So we're optimistic that the Federal Reserve can do its job. Meanwhile, the president is also focused on doing what he can to ease uh, the pain at the pump and to ensure that families can pay a reasonable price for gas. Uh, he's focused on food prices uh, and he's focused on addressing those costs that we know that families face every day and that are so important for them. Cecilia Rouse. Thank you. The chair of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Right now, we do go global, and it's wonderful to have with us again from Citigroup, Nathan Sheets. He is Global Chief Economist at Citi and former Undersecretary of the Treasury for International Affairs with Public Service uh, at the Federal Reserve System as well. Nathan Sheets, wonderful to have you with us. I want to go to Stanley Fisher, who you had a nodding acquaintance with with MIT a few uh, years ago, which is suddenly... The U.S. central bank head is central banker to the world. How close is Jerome Powell to being central banker to the world? You know, that's certainly true during times of stress, where uh, when global markets are under duress and under pressure, they need dollars. And on uh, several occasions over the last 15 years, the Fed has stepped up and provided that liquidity. But uh, similarly, I would say in an episode like the one we're in now, where central banks are struggling with this truly extraordinary set of shocks in an inflation environment, unlike anything that we've seen in decades, that the Fed is very much setting the tone. That as the Fed shifted uh, more hawkish, that opened the way for a lot of other central banks to be more hawkish as well. What are the stresses, for example, I take Sing Dollar back to 2006, and the answer is we have a weak Singapore dollar, which is usually a crown jewel of tiger economies. Tell us what those, those, those economies do after the easy decision to defend by raising rates. The, uh, the Fed's moving. And uh, as the Fed moves and the U.S. economy is under pressure, but still looks better than a lot of uh, uh, the rest of the world, you're uh, seeing the dollar strengthen. And there's been a debate about how much traction the Fed's getting in financial conditions. But make no mistake, it's getting traction on the dollar. And Tom, as you suggest, that has echoes uh, throughout the rest of the world. And uh the U.S. stronger currency is helpful for us in fighting inflation. But the weaker currencies that are on the other side of that are inflationary in those countries and making the challenges for those central banks uh, even more acute. And in addition, for many uh, emerging market economies, it creates tensions in their national balance sheets, given their exposures to dollars. So it does create, as you suggest, some exquisite dilemmas for these central banks and may force them into further rate hikes at times when they don't want to hike rates. Here in the United States, in about uh, 24 hours, as John was mentioning, we are going to get that CPI print expected to come in at 8.1 percent uh, by economists surveyed by Bloomberg, down from 8.5 percent in the prior read. How important is it to look at the components of what's driving this inflation? What's your projection for how we can understand the granularity of this report? I think that uh, looking under the hood is going to be critical. Uh, we're expecting a 0.4% month-to-month read uh, for core, somewhat lower for headline. But when I look at uh, underlying components, 
I just have a hard time being too optimistic about the inflation outlook. I think in this environment with high commodity prices, supply chain pressures, potential further disruptions as a result of what's happened uh, in China to supply chains, that it's not a positive environment for, for goods prices. There's a lot of inertia in shelter and owner equivalent rents. That's not looking like a very positive picture. And then finally, for services, we've got a red hot labor market and wages may not have risen quite as much as headline CPI. But it looks to me like pressures on services prices are likely to be pretty durable as well. So I think those components right now are just not very encouraging and tell a tale of longer lived inflation. So do you think, uh, Nathan, that we've seen the peak? You know, maybe in some arithmetic sense, yes. Uh, You know, is this the peak for 12-month headline inflation or even 12-month core inflation? Possibly. Uh, is Is it likely to be on a bit of a downward trajectory, but a very gradual downward trajectory? And one that even at the end of this year, our expectation is the measures of core prices be they PCE or CPI, are still likely to have four handles, well above Federal Reserve targets. So maybe it is peak, but it's really more, uh, as my colleagues have said, really more of a plateau. Nathan, how much control does the Fed really have over this inflationary impulse if so much of it is coming in addition to the housing, in addition to the uh, labor market, to what we're seeing in China, to what we're seeing with the oil markets? How much control can the Fed really have? This is, this is the critical question. Now, Paul, uh, Paul Volcker uh, taught us in the 1980s that if the Fed's aggressive enough, it can move that demand curve sufficiently to, uh, to mm-hmm. uh, tame inflation. But that is a very painful process. Right. And I think ultimately to get out of this without a recession, the Fed is going to need some help from uh, the outside world. Nathan, We're going to need to see these supply chains improve and commodity prices come down. And Nathan, the common feature of Citigroup economics from Willem Bauder through Catherine Mann to you is respect for the data. Do you take comfort in IMF or WTO global GDP guesses now, or is it an impossible task? The, the reality here is that we as economists have this uh, uh, tendency to, for, uh, to forecast immaculate landings. And why do we do this? Why do we forecast the soft landing where inflation kind of eases down, growth slows some, and we avoid recession? The reality is the, the other outcomes are just so messy, it's hard to figure out what they look like on paper. So we write down these, these, these soft landing scenarios, and there is a plausible path to a soft landing with some luck. But there are right now the inflation risk, mm-hmm. the recession risk, even the stagflation risk is, is quite appreciable. And, and uh, those kinds of forecasts uh, don't, don't help me sleep a whole right. lot better at night. Nathan, are we at any point where we turn to a nominal analysis from a real analysis? Are things so out of whack we literally go back pre-Arthur Burns? As, as inflation surges, you have to start thinking about the nominals as well as the reals. Now, to be clear, I think at the end of the day, how does the Fed get traction? 
And the Fed has to get traction, ironically, by thinking about the reals. And I think ultimately the question that the Fed has got to struggle with is how much are they going to have to push interest rates positive in real terms to get traction on this thing? And in their SCP from a couple months ago, they said, well, just a little bit positive. And that's not clear to me. That's not clear to me at all that we may need a substantially positive real rate. So as the world's thinking more nominal, it's going to be critical for the Fed to think more real. Nathan, awesome to get your view, buddy, as always. Nathan Sheets there of City. Lisa Shallot is with Morgan Stanley Wealth Management. She hinges everything on having a plan and then, heaven forbid, staying with the plan in times of stress. What's the plan, Lisa, and how do you have the courage to stay with it right now? So, look, I, I actually think as uh, radical as the last you know week has been and volatile as the last week has been, there's an element of it that is somewhat predictable. And what I mean by that is that the market has finally gotten to the point where it's digested uh, the level and the degree to which the Fed's going to be hawkish, but they didn't, hadn't yet, uh, really, really, um, you know, fast forwarded that to what are the probabilities that the Fed can really execute a soft landing. And so we know from history, you know, that over in the post-World War II period, the Fed uh, has tightened roughly 14 times. 11 of those episodes have resulted in a recession. And only three times have we pulled off a soft landing. Uh, and we are operating, this is a Fed, it, and Jerome Powell admitted this, that is operating with an, against a backdrop where there's an extraordinary degree of difficulty. Not only is the macro environment complex, but the geopolitical environment is complex. And look, the Fed itself is trying to do something that they've never done before, which is simultaneously raise rates and reduce the size of the balance sheet. So to me, yesterday was very much something to be expected that eventually we were going to get a growth scare where everyone starts worrying about the fact that we might, in fact, have a hard landing. And while we continue to be in the camp that says uh, we don't see an imminent recession, the reality is, is that growth may slow much faster uh, than than folks believe. And so it's notable to to your and Jonathan's point uh, that finally the bond market is getting on the bandwagon, meaning starting to, to worry less about upward moves in inflation and potentially beginning to think about downward moves in inflation, uh, which are, you know, uh, uh, a reflection of weaker growth. So, Lisa, two-part question, just to be clear. It sounds like you expect, one, more downside in equity prices, but two, the second part, if we have that downside, that sell-off, does the character, the nature of the sell-off change? Uh, yeah, I do. I do think that it does, because I think, um, you know, it, it, we start to get a lot more defensive. It's why why bonds are finally getting a bid here. Uh, and so I think that that defensive trade that unwound the long duration, stable growth stock uh, trade that was really unwinding fiercely last week um, starts to get a bid. Uh, and and again, it's what do I want to own if the economy is really um, genuinely slowing? So you're basically basically saying, Lisa, big tech is a bright spot for the next couple of months. 
So I want to be really careful because I, I I don't know that I think big tech in in all caps is, uh, but I think long duration assets uh, actively selected uh, are the place to be. So we we have begun to add duration. We started that uh, about three or four weeks ago, albeit it was early, and and you know many of our clients who began to to add back. Uh, into bonds have not had a great three or four weeks, uh, but but we do think that 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 trade may begin to work. And some of the higher quality uh, um, growth oriented names um, are certainly worth looking at today and, and, and buying. And that's what we're advising our clients to do. Lisa, there have been some people who have talked about the unwind of certain non-profitable tech companies and others as the bursting of a bubble. And I take a look at Peloton this morning. The shares were down 92% from the peak. Even before going into today, the shares getting massacred right now in pre-market trading after uh, they reported their earnings. Is Peloton a one-off? or is this uh, something that is endemic that has not fully been beaten out of the system? Uh, and no, I think we're starting to get there. Uh, and and on uh, the stock side of things, I think we, we certainly have. What's interesting is among the unprofitable tech companies, uh, the, the stocks may actually have led uh, and the credit market probably needs to catch up and, and really blow some of these um, you know, triple C and junk spreads out even further. Um, but but from a stock perspective, you probably are starting to get to the point where there's enough blood and enough pain in the streets uh, that these valuations start to look uh, a little bit better. The key issue, however, uh, is to recognize that companies are now and investors are now looking at, you know, cost of capital. And that means, you know, to what extent has cost of debt gone up and to what extent has cost of equity gone up and both have gone up uh, in this rising, uh, you know, rate environment and the, the policy pivot. Lisa Shannon, awesome, as always, from Morgan Stanley Wealth Management there. Lisa, thank you. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Right now, Kathy joins Joe's Chief Fixed Income Strategist at the Schwab Center for Financial Research. Kathy, a given bond ETF is down 16% in price, 9% annualized, big loss. I would suggest the bond market handles price decline in a bond bear market differently than the equity market. What are you observing from Schwab clients as they enjoy price decline? Well, I'm not sure they're enjoying price decline in bond funds, but what we are seeing is um, investors 
trying to take on um, a little more income by going into longer duration bonds. And this has been our call recently to start gradually, not all at once, but gradually adding some duration as, as yields go up because you know you have the opportunity now to get some relatively attractive coupons at uh, prices that are often below par. So that means not only the opportunity to earn more income in a portfolio, but also potential capital gains. Where is the biggest uh, opportunity right now, Kathy, when you talk about those coupons? Is it in credit and the riskier the better, or is it in full faith and credit U.S. Treasuries? Well, I would slice it a little bit uh, more carefully than that. There are two areas that we really like. One is municipal bonds. Um, you can get on a tax equivalent basis uh, for a very high you know, income earner, uh, north of 5% in municipal bonds, high quality municipal bonds. We're okay with investment grade, but we wanna stay um, a, a little more careful because we do think we're going into, or we are in a credits, part of the credit cycle where we'll see some further spread widening. We're not crazy about the high yield simply because this is, this is the part of the cycle where high yield usually does most poorly. Uh, people forget that it's not the beginning of the rate hike cycle. It's usually the end of the rate hike cycle when the economy starting to weaken that you start to see those high yield spreads really move out. Kathy, I want to focus on that for a minute because we saw a pretty move, a pretty big move in spreads yesterday in the high yield sector, which is something new. We really hadn't been seeing credit respond in the same kind of way that stocks had been responding. And yet suddenly we do see some sort of indication here. Is this just the beginning of a widening of a protracted sell off in credit? Or is this basically some sort of uh, mini capitulation that will be viable for a lot of investors? Uh, I think it's the former and not the latter. So I think that we have seen, say, triple C's really underperform for quite some while, quite a while relative to, say, you know, the higher end of the high yield market. But as we get into higher rates, you're starting to see the impact on cash flow for those weaker companies with you know, weaker balance sheets, maybe not as great at cash flow. It's one reason we don't like loans as well now, uh, simply because we're starting to see the effect of the interest rate increases, and that's probably going to erode you know, the ability to 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 meet those obligations at the lower uh, the weaker credit. So definitely would not be chasing high yield at this stage of the game. Kathy, there's a religion in the equity market that if you go down correction, bear market or worse, at some point you grow your way back to where you were, the market high. And there's long spans where this has been a challenge. How do you do that in the bond market? If I'm X percent down from the summer of 2020, how do I grow myself back with yield if I don't have attendant growth underneath it like I have in stocks? Well, it depends. If you're holding individual bonds and you hold them to par, you're still gonna get you're still gonna get your principal and your interest payments barring <clears throat> in default all the way along. So you've earned whatever that current yield was when you bought the bond. If you're in a bond fund, it usually takes longer, but usually what will happen in a bond fund is the, the manager is reinvesting for higher income and on a total return basis over time, assuming that rates don't go sky high from here, which we don't think is likely, um, you know, you, you earn your way back with the income component. And Kathy, thank you for being with us this morning. Kathy Jones there of the Swap Center for Financial Research. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. 
Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.